Welcome to The Missing Link by Lincoln Leeds. This podcast believes many people struggle with barriers to access and help, but together we want to normalise these barriers and open up a conversation to help everyone feel better. We're going to be speaking with a variety of people and learning from their experiences of well-being. So let's get started. Hello, Dr. Satai. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks very much. And thanks for having me and asking me to uh, participate in what is a really important podcast. No, honestly, it is fantastic to have you. Greatly appreciated. I wanted to start us off a bit with a bit of an introduction from yourself. So, you know, who are you and, and your expertise in terms of, of mental health and, and well-being? Do you want to tell the audience a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, Dr. Mohammed Sattar and I'm a, a GP, first and foremost, a GP partner at the Woodhouse Medical Practice. And Woodhouse Medical Practice is part of the Chapeltown Primary Care Network. And our network is a group of practices working together for a similar type of community. I do a number of other things as well. So I train the GPs in the practice. So we're a training practice and I'm the lead trainer for those people that join us, those doctors. I also am a trustee at St. Gemma's Hospice. Um, so I'm on the board of trustees in uh, St. Gemma's Hospice. I am also a radio host. So I do weekly radio program on Fever FM every Saturday Um, and that is sort of it's called Health Matters but actually it's morphed into a lot more than just sort of health talk and actually what I'm trying to do now is my creative side which is to showcase some of the amazing talent from my heritage which is Pakistani and also sort of some Islamic sort of culture as well. And if that's not enough to do, then... <laughs> it, it never uh, feels like enough, does it? But that is that is so much. I mean, not only are you a well-established GP, which takes years of skill and experience and dedication, but also to be influencing new generations of GPs, training them, supporting them, and, and to then on top of that, also be on the board of trustees and help influence change there, and then to even go a step further, and uh, in some ways maybe be the competition for this podcast and be, be a radio host that, again, talking about mental health, well-being, and, and specifically uh, that, that community as well, which is, is often often overlooked. But no, it's, it's a lot. Uh, what kind of inspired you to... To not only be a GP, but to then go further and dip into these other areas of, of change and development. I think um, I um, have a lot of energy and actually doing all these other roles that I do gives me energy. You know, I thrive off some of the activity and being really involved in, in, in those things. You know, radio is an example. You know, they say that there's no business like show business and that's definitely right. You know, every presenter brings their own finesse, their own personality, their own energy. And it's sometimes really good to just switch off and be away from just work and medicine. But I thrive off the energy that I get from doing all these, these things. So people say, how do you, how do you do this? And, and actually the truth is that it gives me energy. I'm not somebody that likes to sort of rest and sit still. I, I like to do things. 
And I think, you know, one of the things that I did miss off, and it's probably one of the most important things that I do is I am the founding chair of the the primary care BAME network as well, staff network. Um, so over the last two years, we've seen the inequality, especially over the COVID pandemic. And also uh, that, that, that sort of encouraged me to set up a, a network where actually we hear the voices of uh, staff who might be from a minority ethnic group. Because actually what we know is that, that if they're empowered, then we get better care. Um, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you've, you've mentioned a couple of things there that, that relate to finding these minority ethnic groups and empowering them, giving them a voice, either via the, you know, the radio show that you host, but also by being on the trustee and the primary chair for the, the staff network, always developing and pushing forward and giving uh, these individuals a voice who wouldn't, wouldn't have that before. And, that, and that's amazing to see. I mean, what inspired you to go a step further to to want to give people voices and and to be that kind of advocate for that is anything that that kind of pushed that within you I I think there's a number of things that have happened so you know our lived experience and you know on a day-to-day basis we experience racism or inequality that we either know is happening or perhaps ignore so I, I think that was a really big driver but but also I was surprised to find out that actually that there isn't a, a st- there wasn't at that time a staff network that was in primary care looking at these issues. And I had a lot of help and support from what I would say allies, you know, people mm-hmm. that said, look more, if we can get this right for staff, then we'll get this right for patients. And that's why we get out of bed every morning. And so it was, it was that encouragement, that support, and and finally, the evidence. So I, I've already alluded to some of the the spotlight, the evidence and the research that came out over the COVID-19 pandemic, highlighting some of that inequality that actually we're not on equal footing, whether that's access or treatment or, or experience. And, and that was really, really important. And there was a landmark publication, Racism in Medicine, uh, by the British Medical Journal that just propelled that, that sort of fire in my belly to say, look, we've got to go now. We've got to, we've got to start this. I'm going to mm-hmm. change and we've got to, we've got to help people understand what the issues are, but also work with the system to make it better. And if we're not going to do it now, then we're never going to do it. So. Mm-hmm. That's what drove me, really. Um, but I've been really blessed with a lot of support and um, and the people around me. It's not just about me. It's about our people. And, and though the, the network is about the staff. It's about the people that work within primary care. And they drive what we do. Yeah. So it's not only with the people on the inside saying actually there needs to be a change. There was also this this evidence that just showed very strongly that actually there has to be an internal a systemic change to improve things, not just for us as staff members, but for the people that we support, the patients that come through. And, and the only way to do that is from within, which sounds just like a fantastic reason to do it. And and I, it sounds as if you've, you've had, like you mentioned there, some allies and some people backing it and to then develop this, this staff network and 
to again have those people involved just sounds like an amazing bit of of work and and hopefully I'd I'd like to see the think that's led to some some great changes. Has ever has there been much kind of key changes that have come from it that you, you want to share? I think there's been a number of things that have happened um since the inception, the introduction of the BAME network for primary care leads. I think the most important thing is that we've got what I would say is soft influence. Mm-hmm. So we we people know that we exist. People know that there are issues. People are hearing some of our voices and that's really important the the second thing that's happened is that with us starting the network in primary care in Leeds many have followed across the country so we've all, all almost started a movement where people have seen what we've done and they have replicated in different ways so each region has done their own little sort of changes to the network and the way that they want to run it. But yeah, there's now not just one, but several networks across uh, the UK, which is really, really good. And I, I think the third thing that's happened is, um, is that we have managed to elevate people. So there's people that started in the network that thought, you know, that they could never be a manager or, you know, apply for a particular role and being part of the network, knowing how amazing they are we have managed to mentor and I talk about elevate these people um, and and help them to realize their potential and we continue to do that so I I think those are some of the real highlights for me in terms of what the network has achieved and some amazing achievements there I mean you've said as if it's creating a network of networks and it's branching out across the UK it's not just in isolation within Leeds it's actually getting bigger and beyond itself but then also those networks are adapting themselves to what's going on in their local areas and making sure it's as bespoke as possible but still following this this elevation of people and this this empowerment of, of the people around it and it just sounds like an amazing amazing network and I, I can hope it continues and, and keeps going further and, and developing it's um, a part of it almost reflects what we do at Lincoln Leeds but on a, on a broad level in terms of powering an individual making sure they're connected to others building that network and elevating them into a place where they can become the driving force for, for their own change but no it sounds absolutely fantastic in in terms of the the kind of key questions that we often bring to all of our our guests and and discuss provided by our our people's voice group Uh, one of the key questions they ask is what does good mental health or happiness look like to you or perhaps the people that you have elevated what does that what does that look like that's a really difficult question isn't it i think good mental health is happiness ultimately and we think about well how can we be happy and you know we think about so i want to be rich but why do you want to be rich want to be rich so that I can be happy you know I want a good job why do you want a good job so I can be happy you know and I think it's about happiness but how do we create that happiness and that means different things for different people and I think the question that you're asking is like a philosophical question isn't it it's it's a a difficult one to answer because everyone is so individual but I think being content being safe being able to think being able to contribute positively towards uh, society, being hopeful. 
I, I think perhaps that is a really important thing to stress is, is hope. I think that like mental health can be so destructive. And I, I think one of the things that I've seen is that when someone is so desperate, so hopeless, you know, that's really poor mental health. Yeah, the, the feeling of hopelessness and and shame and, and just this lack of, well, what what is the point? Why why should I strive to go forward? Because there's nothing there for me. And it's such a, uh, which we, we'll talk about in, in Libya, that's sort of a barrier for people in terms of taking control of their own life. And, and you also say there as well about the kind of broadness of the question as well. You know, what is happiness to people? People want happiness, but don't really know what that means on a practical level. So almost this this confusion of, well, what is it that I actually truly wants to be happy? What do I actually need? Uh, both fantastic key points in terms of, of this journey for happiness and, and trying to find it. I mean, with the people that you've you've seen in in the past or even even with yourself, what kind of what kind of helped them break down some of those barriers or, or or what kind of other barriers did they face in terms of trying to achieve the happiness you think? I think where we work in Chapel Town Prime Care Network, it's a really unique place. It's unique in the demographic, but also perhaps the and more intensified medical problems that people might face because of the higher levels of poverty indicators. So whether that's housing, employment, money, whatever. And what we see is severe mental health where we, where we work actually. And one of the things that we've done and I am really proud of is the fact that we have a a primary care mental health team um, that works within the practice. So that might be people who perhaps are a little bit more poorly than um, sort of being able to access healthy minds or sort of telephone counselling type service, sort of what I would say sort of very effective but soft touch perhaps Mm -hmm. and limited in what they can offer to sort of, but, but not so poorly that they sort of meet sort of the criteria for a community mental health referral yeah and so if they fall in between that sort of that level and that space then or or actually if they're going to be people who are less able to engage with you know cognitive behavioral therapy over the telephone or somewhere that's not familiar to them mm-hmm. then actually our primary care mental health team is able to support them and it's you know made up of a mental health nurse and a sort of a therapist and i found that that has been a really really good thing but I think there's other things that are helping patients, I hope, from um, sort of the work coach offer. So, you know, we've got a work coach that helps people back into work or gives them the confidence to be able to apply for another job or give them the tools that they might need. We've got um, things like a, a sort of forward leads. So if people have uh, drug and alcohol problems, uh, then and we know that they will exacerbate mental health problems or sometimes even cause mental health problems, then having quick access to uh, forward leads is really, really important. And then we think about a link in leads, as, as you said, think, thinking yeah. about that and sort of helping patients to signpost and sort of navigate what is a really confusing health economy where, you know, we try to make it as easy as possible, but even I get confused as to the next new service or, yeah. you know, what are they actually offering? 
And so it's really great that we have a health and wellbeing coordinators that are now seeing people face to face in the surgeries, you know, and giving people the confidence and the information that they need so that they can navigate this really difficult health economy and place. Uh, and I think it's worth thinking about um, sort of social prescribing. So, you know, Lincoln leads the offer, you know, it's, it's, it's wider term or definition is what we call social prescribing. How do we enable people to live their most fulfilled life in the best way possible with some help and support in terms of signposting and getting the right help when they need it? Talking about things like every contact, making every contact count, all, all of those types of things. You know, we know, and I remember um, when we launched Lincoln Leads in surgeries and a sort of social prescribing service in Leeds, and I gave a talk and I was surprised, but equally not surprised to learn that almost half of working age people find it difficult to navigate the health and um, care social system. So the need for a social prescriber is definitely there. And what they offer is a really valuable service. It's really important. But I think one of the things that I've noticed about all of these roles is that even for the practitioner, it's it can be quite overwhelming. Yes. And I think that's quite important to recognise as well is that actually, yeah, we have a responsibility to our patients and we're here for our patients. Of course we are. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for our patients. But at the same time, I think when we're planning services and we're looking at what are we offering, we need to make sure that we look after the staff that are actually delivering those services as well. So that actually they, I hate to say it, are resilient and I hate that word, you know, sort of let let, let's be more resilient. Well, actually, what does that really mean? And I think there's something about and a gap in that, in that actually we are seeing people, people's lives becoming a lot more complex and it's a lot to carry on our shoulders. And actually, mm-hmm. how are we going to be able to be effective as a service, at deliver for, for our patients who really need us, but also to look after ourselves? And an example would be our house got, got burgled um, about a month ago. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. Oh, thank you. And it, it was obviously quite traumatic. And um, when the policeman turned up, he turned up with a chaplain. And and I got talking to the chaplain and I said, well, why are you here? And he said, well, I'm a volunteer chaplain and I'm here. Although I, I, I'm here to support you as a victim, actually my primary role is to support the staff so whether that is a policeman who's anticipating a really difficult scenario um, or visit, it might be a a police officer who is burnt out, or it might just be there as a sort of, you know, a ride in the car for the day, just as a sort of moral support. And I thought that was a really good thing. And I thought, you know, we need to learn from the police force, actually. They do some things that are actually quite good, <laughs> yeah. and we can learn from them. And I think there's something about supporting our staff so that we are the best at what we can be and deliver, really, truly deliver for our patients who really, really need us in this very complex world right now. And there is a lot of distress that we have to hold. So I I think it's really, really important that I plug that and I make sure that, you know, the people that are listening really take that on board, whether it's a commissioner, whether it's a service user, be kind to us, you know, we're, t- we're trying our best. We we are really, really trying to help you and, and help us as well. So it's all about being human. And I think that is another thing to say is, you know, what really impacts on the patient is, especially with mental health, is being heard. 
and not feeling dismissed and feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Really, really important. I think other things that have helped our patients in the surgery have been, for example, Money Buddies. So Money Buddies is a charity that's offering a walk-in service for people who are having financial difficulties and they can come into the surgery and get that help. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, we've also got a food bank on the corridor of the surgery right now. So, you know, this is a holistic approach with multi-agencies working together to deliver what might help someone who's really in distress right now. That, that's both the the benefit and the challenge, isn't it? That we are we are, as we step towards a health economy that is more personalised and more bespoke, and trying to see a human for who they are as a, as a whole person. It actually just makes the logistics of it just just ten times more complicated because it's not just as simple as right. You receive your medication now, or we're just going to do this. It's trying to get to the root of the problem and that could be like you say people's uh, addictions or people's uh, economic situation or, or their isolation and the almost the interplay between them as well they often they often impact and, and push each other further down this this kind of downward spiral uh, and then not only that it's as much as we are supporting the individual through this process we also want to help our staff and our our providers through that process as well because it's challenging when two humans connect on such a level that it it can be be so meaningful both ways and and very draining both ways and very challenging both ways so i think that message of of recognizing that is is fantastic and something that should be promoted more and something we we don't hear as much on especially on on this podcast so it's great to hear that from yourself we're coming towards the end of, of our podcast today it's been fantastic having you on really appreciated some of the viewpoints you provided some of the insights into the into the current health economy has been amazing with the last kind of final few words is there anything that that you want to kind of say to people out there any advice you'd give or just final thoughts that you you want to share i think it's really important to say that we are here to help and if you are in distress then pick up the phone and we will do our very, very best to help you. And it won't be a wasted call. We will do our best and we'll support you. Um, and if we don't have the answers, then we will try to find the answers. I think if you're listening and you're really worried or anxious, scared, I think it's important that we take each day as it comes and know that we will do our best to help you. Know that there is a lot of help out there. And if one service doesn't suit you, then often there's another service that might help. So if you're so distressed right now and you're feeling like life actually might not be worth living, then if the crisis team is not something that you want to access, then there's the Samaritans, of course, or that there's Dial House, you know, survivor-led crisis centre. There are options. There's also your GP, there's 999, there's A&E. There's so many different options. But please, please reach out and we'll do our very, very best to help. Fantastic advice. That almost, that famous quote of the journey of a thousand miles starts with that one step, isn't it? And it starts with this person who's listening to this or to any of the other episodes just reaching out to someone and, and beginning that process and it's going to be a long and arduous one but one that has 
big gun and, and they will see that progress if they stick to it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That's it for this week. Massive thank you to our guest. So we hope to see you next time. But in the meantime, if you or someone you know needs help, then contact us at linkingleads.com. Alternatively, you can give us a call on 0113 336 7612. Thanks.